We are halfway through the main round of Women's EHF Euro 2020 and only one team has actually booked their place officially in the semi-finals. That's Norway who brought an end to the fairy tale run of Croatia on Saturday evening with a devastating second half. The dream is still alive for Croatia, but Norway showing that they are the top dogs once again. It's Chris O'Reilly here with you, joined by Brian Campion. Hello, Chris. And Alex Kulesh. How are you, Chris? You know, those who are listening can't see, but Brian is very well dressed. Uh, he's got a shirt on uh, because these are usually his opportunities to do some socializing in the hotel as recently he's gone downstairs to the lobby to do his work. Yeah, that's like the highlight of my day these days, you know, so work in my room a bit, then dress up, dress up in the afternoon, head downstairs for about four o'clock, sit in the reception, wave to the odd person and then work there for the games. That's my routine. Then come back upstairs and go to bed. <laughs> the, the glitz and glamour of EHF reporting, eh? Oh, that's it. You know, in the bubble, in the mix. <laughs> there was a great response to your spoon story from the last podcast. So anyone who hasn't heard that yet, go back and listen to it. So maybe we'll have to get another tale from the red zone at the end of the podcast. Let's focus on what happened on Saturday first and... I guess we have to look at the top of the table clash, Croatia against Norway. And there was a moment there at the beginning of the second half where Croatia took the lead. We were thinking, huh, is this actually going to happen? It didn't happen. It was a great game for about 35 minutes. And I think then uh, it became more like a friendly match. I think then Clayton touched upon it in the in the commentary. He said uh, it looked like they're resting some of their players. And I think... I think they did start to do that after a certain stage. But for about 35 minutes, Croatia showed us that they can hang with them for a certain amount of time. But I think, yeah, there were a good few teams that can hang with Norway for 35 minutes. But it's the last 15, 20 minutes where Norway really can uh, turn it up. But yeah, I was really impressed with them for the for the first half. That was that was pretty incredible. And I think he was resting Pijovic, which I thought was interesting as well. Maybe he wanted to give his second goalkeeper, Bejan, some court time, have her sharp for that big game against Germany in case Pijovic isn't catching all the balls she normally does. Yeah, I wonder if it was a long-term tactic from Sosteric. I wonder if he has the final in mind already and he is <laughs> and he is not playing Pijovic because he doesn't want to give away her secrets. He doesn't want this Norwegian team to figure her out. And Sosteric he, he's thinking bigger than all of us. <laughs> wow. that, that's my theory on that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fuck it, living in 2040. No, no, it's so storage. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, if they get to the final, Alex, that, is, that could be the best bit of punditry you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I will be the biggest Croatia fan. But, but in reality, we saw Norway do what the best teams always do and that's step up in the third quarter of a game most games are won or lost in that third quarter and Norway just stepped up the heat 
And obviously it helps when you can have a bench player, bench in quotation marks, like Henny Reistad coming in and scoring eight goals from nine shots. That kind of squad depth is what we've talked about with Norway. They just have stars everywhere. And I thought on the other side, for the first time, Croatia showed their inexperience. And it was kind of shared between the two halves. But it was really their continual indiscipline and the two minutes that they kept getting. And a lot of those two minutes were basically when a Norwegian player broke through and for some reason the Croatian defender would just hang on or just hang on for a bit too long and then they would give away a penalty and get the two minutes. And they survived that in the first half when you know they had the legs to survive that. But the real turning point was a two minutes for Croatia around the 35th minute mark, which let Norway go off on a run and Croatia were never going to catch them after that. I, I think really great teams and really top teams like that make you look really indisciplined. And I think when you watch Norway, they, I think they're the queens of winning seven metres. You know, they almost have it down to an art form when you watch them play. You just know there's a certain position there and it's like, this is definitely going to be a seven metre now. I'm not saying they're flopping all over the place, but they just know how to get those seven metres out of teams. And that can really crush teams as well. And we saw that today over and over again. Yeah, and actually, after the game between Norway and the Netherlands, a lot of the Dutch players complained a bit about Norm Work and her um, over-the-top screaming when she got fouled, uh, which was interesting. But that's that's what top players do. They, they go through and you make, you, you shout and you get that penalty. It's it's what you do. So as you said, they, they, they do it continuously. On the other side, not one two-minute suspension for Norway today. Like great discipline. They, their defense and transition counterattack worked perfectly. And the this moment you mentioned, Alex, 35 minutes, 48 seconds, Henny Reistad gets herself a goal. There was a push from uh, Camilla Michievich. She gets a two-minute suspension. And then from that, four more goals are scored in a row for Norway. And all of a sudden, it's 23-18 and the beginning of the end. And referring to a topic we had in the last podcast about the potential Norwegian weaknesses, did we learn anything new today about any potential weaknesses? Uh, They were held for 35 minutes against Croatia, but I think that, for me, has to do more with the uh, brilliant performance of the Croatians and not necessarily anything poor that Norway did. I still think they showed, especially in that first half, um, they showed that they're susceptible to turnovers. This time, Stina Afdal was absolutely incredible. She didn't put a foot wrong in the whole game. She tore Croatia apart. It was incredible. But as a team, Norway still had nine turnovers in the game. And, you know, I'm really zoning in on this because it's difficult to see any other weaknesses. But I thought Croatia took advantage of, of a few of those turnovers and that's how they got back into the game in the first half because at one stage there were three goals down and it was a few errors from Norway's side where Croatia were able to kind of come back into the game. In the second half, Norway stopped producing errors but also it turned into a very different game where it was just fast breaks, second wave fast breaks from Norway 
less of an opportunity to make those um, handling mistakes or bad passes. Or or maybe it is more of an opportunity, but Norway are just really good at that fast break game. So I think that weakness is still there. Will it be there for the whole tournament? And will it be there in every game? I, I don't know. But I think that's the only weakness I can see. So Croatia suffered their first loss of the championship. They're still in second place on six points. But breathing down their neck is Germany, who got a victory over Hungary today. And Germany looking better and better. An interesting potential three-way battle now for second place because you have Croatia on six points, Germany on four, and the Netherlands still not out of this on two points. Germany played the Netherlands next on Monday. And if the Dutch win that... We could be going into a situation on the final day of the main round where three teams could end up on six points. So first of all, Brian, what did you make of the Hungary-Germany game and in particular the German performance in the second half? I think the start of each half was quite similar. Germany starting really well. And just, I mean, the opening of the first half, they were just doing really simple switches and just were able to open up the Hungarian defence. It was once... Yulia Benke was taken off. That's, I think, when things seem to change uh, for Germany. It kind of looked like, I think she plays a really a big role in defence. And we then we saw that when she came back on for the start of the second half again, they, it gave them a boost. So I think she's a, a, kind of quite a vital role for the for the German side in defence there. But yeah, the far, start of the first half looked quite easy for Germany. It went up, I think it was a 10-5 uh, up. And I talked to them when I interviewed the two girls about getting the rub from Norway. And it looked almost a little bit like the way Norway played, the way they were just hammering the goals in. And then Hungary just kind of crept their way back into it. They swapped out their keepers. They took Blanca Biro off. That started to um, to work well for them. But I think the biggest problem for the Hungarians was that they... For me, anyone I was watching it, they, 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 their attack was just so straight down the middle and they would only pass it to the wings and spread the play as like a last ditch effort. And they would just, oh, I'm in left back now. All, this isn't working. I'm just going to launch it to the right wing now. And then they often would get intercepted. Someone would fumble it and they'd lose the ball. So a massive amount of fumbles and turnovers on their side made things easy for Germany in certain parts of the game. So would you say that it was more hungry losing the game? than Germany winning the game. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. But I think I think when Germany played their game and they stuck to playing their concepts, they were the superior team. It was once Hungary turned into a bit of a dogfight and forced Germany to kind of try and go one against one or do individual actions. That's when things started to fall apart. And I actually think Henk Kroner said it during a timeout as well. He said, forget about trying these 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 individual moments of brilliance. Just stick to the concepts that we've worked on. I think, I think one of the concepts was called High Hungarian or something like that, or Hungarian High. So they've obviously worked on a specific move uh, for the game itself, which I thought was quite interesting. He would say the same things to them during timeouts, just to play their concepts and stick to their game. And that really worked then once once they did that. They looked like a way better team when they were playing their, their handball properly. And they were so much bigger and so much more physical. And they looked, that was, a, that was their best game of the tournament, I think, so far. It's interesting what you said about the Hungarian approach in attack and particularly going down the middle, which for me is Germany's strongest point in the center of that defense because they have so many uh, potential players to go in that center block. And looking at the stats here, you had Sandra Sholosi zaksik with 15 shots, Katrin Kleuber with 11. So that's more than half of Hungary's whole shots by two players in the backcourt and not incredibly successful for Zaksik's side either. She is 6 from 15. Uh, Kleuber much better with 8 from 11. But 
Yeah, really focusing down the center there and pretty much playing into Germany's hands in that sense. Yeah, I think they could have benefited a lot from spreading the play. And as I said before, it just it really felt like an afterthought when they did spread it. And I felt a bit sorry for the wings because the Hungary have good wingers as well. I don't know if that was something going into the game that they thought might pay off, but it clearly didn't. And uh, it's, a, it's a real shame because Hungary have really pretty good wingers as well. Quickly then, how things stand and what you've seen. Croatia, Netherlands or Germany to join Norway in the semi-finals Brian going on today's performance I kind of fancy Germany Alex we've said it before and I will stick to the rule we made earlier in our podcast and don't doubt Croatia because they were very good today I I think the score flattered Norway Croatia's performance was good they had them on the ropes at one stage and I think Croatia just need basically a draw to get through and I, I think they have enough for that. I said at the start of this tournament, I just don't really trust Germany to do it. And I'll stick with that. What do you think, Chris? Uh, I think the Netherlands, no. <laughs> <laughs> Croatia. Croatia will do it. Yeah. What yeah, a great story that, that would be. I don't know. It's really, it's really close. But as, as Alex said, like, can't, can't be going doubting Croatia anymore. So I'm going to, until they prove me, Wrong. I'm going to back them now. Bit late to to jump on the bandwagon, but I'm doing it. (laughs) I, for one, welcome our Croatian handball overlords. (laughs) (laughs) All right, on to group one, and we have games coming up this Sunday. But first, a look back on two very tight games on Friday evening. We had Russia and France play out a really entertaining game, perhaps the best game of the championship so far. We're going to talk about that soon. But first... Looking back at the Scandinavian derby between Denmark and Sweden, which Denmark just came out 24-22 winners. And instead of us yapping on about the game, let's hear from two players who played in it. We spoke to Christina Jorgensen and Yamina Roberts about it. Now, a quick disclaimer. These interviews were done during uh, media calls, so we had to do it over the phone with them. And the audio quality is brutal. I think we've been uh, spoiling ourselves in recent times with good audio quality. So we're going back to 2017 for the next 15 minutes. But there's still some nice content in there. We'll hear from Christina Jorgensen first and then Yamina Roberts. With about four minutes to go yesterday, there was a great shot cut to you on the bench looking very, very anxious uh, as you were looking at the game. Uh, do you remember what, what was going through your mind towards the end of the game like that? Because I guess the worst place to be in a situation like that is on the bench. Yeah, in my mind, I thought that we have to win and we have to we have to score because we uh, made some mistakes in the end. But I'm just so happy and thrilled right now that get two points and get the win over Sweden. So, yeah, it was just such a close game and every feeling was outside the budget. Yeah, and it was a bit of a classic Scandinavian derby as well, like a super physical game. Uh, It seems like both sides really cancelled each other out as well. No chance of counterattacks. How different was the expectation for the game to the reality of what happened? I think it was pretty much uh, what we expected. We know Sweden is a very good team and they will never stop fighting. We know many of the players from our home clubs and playing against them in the Danish league. Uh, so we 
have a lot of knowledge about each other. So I think just it was a fun game and it was really fun that we get the win. And you know, a lot of things happen in the game, but penalties seem to be uh, one decisive factor. That's for sure with uh, Sweden missing five of them. When you're when you're in in the game situation itself, do you get a feeling? That or a vibe that Althea and Sandra were very much in their heads for those penalties because it seemed like a very big mental game. Yeah, I think it was really a mental game in, on those penalties. Uh, Sandra and Althea on our team has a very good knowledge about the uh, Swedish uh, shooters, so I'm just so happy that they uh, they missed the shots um, and that Sandra and Althea took uh, very uh, many penalties. Talking about your own role in the team, because it seems like it's it's growing day by day, and I think a good example of that is your uh, being placed in those six-on-five situations where you're one of the two backcourt players, and in the games before that as well, you're having a fantastic tournament. Do you feel that yourself, and, and did you have a certain expectation before the tournament for your own role? Yeah, I, I, for me, I just think it's very important that uh, when I am on the court, I do what I do best, and that's keep a good uh, calm and go for the goal and, and have a very good uh, atmosphere around me and uh, push it every time I got the ball and then when I play six uh, against five it's just to be calm and make the right decision and uh, I think so far in this tournament the, the six against five play has been very good and uh, Jesper and Lars also think that so yeah it's just uh, to come in and do what I do uh, at home and play my game and, and what I can do best and make some assist for my teammates and also go get the goal by myself. I spoke to Jesper a few weeks ago in the build-up to the tournament and uh, we were talking about the importance of I guess, self-confidence and expressing yourself, which is something that he really wanted you girls to, to feel you could do in the national team. Maybe something that wasn't always a part of the Danish women's national team. Do you feel yourself that you're able to express yourself a lot more? Do you feel more comfortable at this championship? Yeah, you know, it goes up and down. When you miss a shot, you don't have so much uh, confidence. But uh, on the other hand, if you score a really good goal, you have a lot of confidence. So all the time goes up and down. But I think in general, our team has moved a lot uh, further and we are experiencing a lot more confidence uh, to the team and to the whole uh, crew uh, behind. And... I think, uh, yeah, we have uh, taken a lot of steps forward in, in this year and moving towards new opportunities. These situations are, are going to get tougher as well. The next two games, they're all like knockout games and expressing yourself and being comfortable is, is one thing in the group stage or in test matches. But how, for you personally, do you, do you manage uh, feeling confident and, and comfortable in a, in a knockout game like is coming up and yesterday? It's this games we are playing for every day, uh, you know, it's the best feeling to uh, play such a tournament and uh, such nice games against uh, really, really good teams uh, from now we have Spain and Russia, um, so it would definitely be hard, but it would also be very fun and interesting to see uh, to test ourselves against such great teams and uh, I believe so much in ourselves and we have a very good preparation. We uh, look at a lot of uh, technical meetings and uh, video uh, on ourselves and on the other teams. Uh, so now we have Spain today. We have to watch some video. So 
Yeah, if we stick to our uh, tactic and our uh, way of playing handball, I think we all will be calm and confident. You mentioned the the video there, and is is Jesper and the the coaching team focused a lot on on giving you homework like this for these games and and doing video on the other team because there's not a lot of time between the games as well. So I, I guess it's difficult to find a balance between doing the video and doing your homework, but also just focusing on yourselves. Yeah. from Team Denmark. Yeah, very good help for us. So uh, after the game yesterday, one hour later, we have a video on all our actions in the game and all individual yeah, shots and uh, defense and attack. And so we can easily watch it whenever we want on our cell phones. And then yeah, the, after a game, we have one hour where we can come and ask them or Lars or Jesper how they think about the uh, situation in the game last night, and then uh, up, uh, during the day we have another meeting uh, where we will uh, have focus on the next game and on the next team we will meet. So tonight it's uh, Spain where we will watch some video with, uh, about. So yeah, I think they are pretty much uh, our way to success that we watch so much video and we uh, are good at, at preparation and uh, making some good uh, yeah, relationships um, to what we can play and to each other so we know when to do what and what they coaches think uh, that's the best uh, possible to do. Good stuff. Well, so far so good. Thank you so much, Christina, for the chat and good luck tomorrow. Yeah, you will. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Yamina, for taking the time to chat. I know it's not easy, particularly after a game like last night, with uh, a night and, I guess, a morning to reflect on it. How is the mood in the team today? It's okay. Uh, of course, we're disappointed that we cannot reach the semifinals. Yeah, we hope for a win yesterday but yeah nothing to do with it today yeah it was a odd game a uh, very interesting one i guess a bit of a classic uh, scandinavian derby very physical as well and in the end went down to a few small things i guess the penalties is one area that that could be looked at but what was your impression of the game itself yeah as you said it was a tight and tough game we uh, i think that uh, we could have won it was uh, small things in the end that uh, went Denmark's way, uh, and of course, uh, as I said, the penalties, uh, we had, we missed five, and uh, if we just had scored on maybe half of them, yeah. <laughs> would be a, would have been another game. And was there much discussion uh, post-match within the dressing room or with Thomas, the coach, or was it, uh, I guess, in situations like that, kind of best to, to leave it and to, to look back on it with a fresh mind the next day? Yeah, I think so. We cannot do anything about it now. Uh, we didn't score on them yesterday, and that, that's, that's life. <laughs> that's yeah, of course. Can we talk a bit about uh, your own performance? Because, uh, well, first of all, when I, I saw you come on in the first half, it seemed like you, you came on, you earned that two-minute suspension, and then as soon as you knew that it was a two-minute suspension, you were straight off. I was hoping that wasn't going to be the last of your <laughs> of your action that day. <laughs> but um, overall, you... I. It seemed like you had a, a very good game, and uh, particularly in the second half, it felt like it was uh, a bit of uh, Yamina and Bella Gilden reeling back the years. Yeah, uh, I had a lot of energy, and uh, I re- was really looking forward to the game. Both me and Bella played yesterday, and we, uh, even though we haven't been playing with each other for a while, we 
we know each other well, and uh, yesterday it felt good. We found each other, we communicated as in the good old days. <laughs> it's a fascinating story that you only four months ago uh, you gave birth to Lou, and you had a Incredibly quick comeback into the club scene, first of all, with Seva Hoff. Uh, when you were coming back, did you think that, or did you have December and the, the championship on your radar at all? It was, I would not say a goal, but I knew that if I, if I train and get back in good shape, I had a chance to take a place in the squad. So, of course, it was a bit of a motivation when I realized that everything went well after, uh, after giving birth, but uh, maybe I didn't hope too much. Uh, so I shouldn't get disappointed but when I felt that uh, it was uh, possible I uh, really worked hard and uh, yeah, what, what was the secret behind it I, I mean obviously working hard is is uh, it was clear to see I think from your entire career but uh, was it a case that things just went a lot more smoothly when you went back to training than you expected I worked out a lot while I was pregnant uh, yeah. also and I think that maybe that helped me so I never really stopped training I just continued uh, training but maybe in a different way and maybe not so often as I'm used to. But uh, when I uh, when I was <laughs> done with the pregnancy, I felt that I need to get my body back. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit hard to see your body just look like a house or something when you're used to <laughs> look like an athlete. So that was one of the motivations. Yeah, I don't know. It went smooth, as you said, and I was a little bit lucky that uh, nothing happened or that I had any problems or issues after. And coming into the championship then, was your expectations of your, your role in the team a bit different then? I mean, coming back so quickly after giving birth and also with the, the new coaching setup, did you have a particular idea of what kind of role you would have in the squad or did you come into it with an open mind? Uh, I was pretty open-minded. Uh, I realized that I wouldn't get the same role maybe as I had uh, before, but uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, after all, I gave birth four months ago, and that's pretty natural and normal that I don't play 60 minutes. I didn't expect that, and I, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that. <laughs> Nevertheless, you looked uh, in great form yesterday, and I think you were only on the court for 16 minutes, but it felt like such a, a big impact you had on the team, and the, the trust seemed to be uh, thrown at you a lot more. Did it feel a bit different that uh, once you got scored a few goals in that game and, and you felt like you were really back into the championship? In one way, yes. But uh, I haven't thought about it that much. It's all about winning as a team. And if I play zero minutes and score zero goals, but we win, that's okay with me. But of course, it's nice to play and to feel that you can help your team. Yeah, yesterday I got a little self-confidence, maybe even though it wasn't bad before. But I had some flow. It was nice to play and uh, get rid of some uh, energy and uh, angryness. <laughs> Good stuff. And I guess it's it's hard to pick uh, pick yourselves up as a team after a result like that. And as you said, that one puts you out of the semi-final contention, but still two games left to go. And it looks like from the outside looking in that it's a, a bit of a squad in transition with uh, Thomas Saxner bringing quite a few new names in for the first championship. Is that going to be the, the focus now for the, the rest of the championship to kind of work on team building? Yes, even though we cannot reach the semi-finals, we have our own goals. So we haven't played uh, uh, that many matches with this, uh, games with this team. So it's a good uh, experience. As I said, even though we cannot reach the semi-finals, there are a lot of things to play about. And with uh, with Thomas Axner coming in as the coach, it seemed like he's he's rotated the squad an awful lot as well uh, with the starting teams, seemingly to setting up the team to 
almost suit the opposition that you're going to play in each game rather than having a case where you're you're setting out your own stall and saying okay these are our best seven players and uh, let's see if you can beat us do you think that is the the mindful approach from Thomas and the team and maybe a case of also as you said it's uh, it's a case of getting to know each other and building this team yeah, he's been uh, pretty clear with that uh, we play with the players who uh, fit the opponents or doesn't fit them, maybe. Mm. So uh, earlier we with the other coach, we had a uh, we had more like uh, seven players that start and play most of the games. We're not used to this, but I think maybe in in the long run, this is a good tactic or good uh, way to do it because it's better to have uh, 16 players that are warm and uh, feel that maybe today it's my turn and uh, not have uh, five players that sit on the bench for the whole championship. Yeah, I guess that's a particularly important yeah. thing with uh, with so many games as well. Yeah, it's all about getting used to it uh, for us. We are also new kind of uh, coaching and thinking. Do you prefer it that way? Yeah, uh, actually I do. I think it's smart thing to play with the players that you believe can mismatch the opponents uh, in that game and uh, maybe not expect that every player can do anything. Like if you have seven players that you really believe in but uh, none of them can shoot, better to put someone that can shoot on the field than try to make me, for example, uh, shoot from 10 meters. Yeah, understood. So in, the, in the long run, I think it's a good idea. I was reading on Handball's Canalen just yesterday that you and I think it was Philippe Eden have created a, a bit of a quiz show for the, the team and I guess creating things like this and giving uh, yourselves something to keep yourselves occupied on uh, during the championship has been more important than ever. How has it been for you to, to deal with it? Yeah, I, I were a little bit insecure uh, before we get, got here that uh, I thought I would get crazy by just staying inside, but I think it's okay. We've been doing, as you said, a quiz and we are watching TV. We're training, we have meetings, so it's not that much of a spare time or free time that we feel that boring. Are you the kind of person then that feels they take on a role like that as one of the more experienced players in the squad, or is it more of a, I guess, a personality thing to uh, to organize something like that and to to help keep your your teammates motivated? Is that your uh, one of your roles within the squad? No, I wouldn't say that's my role, but I like to do things. <laughs> I don't like to just sit still and watch into the wall or something. <laughs> so. <laughs> Me and Philippa, the goalkeeper, we made this uh, quiz last year in Japan. And this year we felt that uh, maybe this is the year that it, uh, we need it more than ever. So we made another one. And uh, I think it's uh, a little bit uh, for us to have something to think about, something else to think about to do the quiz. Because it's, uh, we put a lot of effort in it. And also for the whole team, the rest of the team, have a good time. Right, good stuff, Yamina. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to chat. It was a pleasure. And good luck for the, the final two games of the championship. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you to Yamina and Christina. Sweden are out of the competition, but could still have a big role to play. Uh, in deciding who gets through to the semi-finals we have three teams in the mix Denmark Russia and France Russia and France played each other on Friday night as I mentioned before for me probably the best game of the championship so far it was a draw 
What did you make of it? What, one last point on the Denmark-Sweden match. And it's something that uh, Brian mentioned during the game. And it was, you felt the passion, you felt the intensity of the game. But the game was very hard to get into. And I think that was because there was very little transition play within that game. It was all set attack versus set defense. And it really slowed down the game. The Russia-France game, on the other hand, that was just... Just transition play. <laughs> just transition play. <laughs> and it just it was mind-blowing because it had its back and forth in terms of scoreline, in terms of the teams that were stepping up. It looked like Russia went control, then France did their third quarter rush that they've done um, throughout this competition. And in the end, I had no idea who was going to win the game within the last five minutes because it could have gone anyway. Anyone could have just made a run. Um, and in the end, I think a draw was a pretty good result. We have to talk a little bit as well about uh, the performances of uh, Vladlena Bobrovnikova as well. As we talked about before the tournament, she might not have have been even in the squad, was it not for certain injuries? And she's become really vital for the Russian team. And she scored five again the last day against France. That's just a, an incredible story in, in, its, in itself. And she must be delighted with her own performance. Also, someone like Managorova, she seems to be one of the most reliable players now for the, for the Russian team. And Skorbov Gachenko, five from five, absolutely flawless performance. As flawless as your pronunciation of that name, Brian. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, yeah, and I, I, I want to focus in on Bobrovnikova a little bit more. And not just the fact that she scored five goals. She scored three of those goals when it looked like Russia had no more ideas in attack. It looked like France were going to take over that game in the last five, ten minutes. And it was Bobrovnikova coming in and just breaking through that France defense and getting crucial goals to keep Russia in the game. In the first half, Russia scored 19 goals, though. And that was, for me, one of the standout things to take from this. And they did exactly what you had mentioned they needed to do, guys, which was this second wave fast break. Just kept pushing the ball never really settled uh, for a six-on-six attack. And I think they realized very early on, right from the first attack, that when it's six against six, it's not really going to work out for them. Uh, They did get a penalty from that first attack. But from then onwards, it was 100% just move the ball as quickly as possible. And it really worked well for them. It worked well for them. But then France were still able to slow down the game a little bit in the second half. Mm. And I think... I still doubt Russia. I I continue to doubt Russia for some reason, even though they've been one of the most impressive teams in this competition, because I don't think they have enough in that set attack. So when France did slow it down, okay, Russia were amazing on the second wave fast break, on the first wave fast break. When France did slow it down, Russia ran out of ideas and they ran out of ideas very fast. And it allowed France to come back into the game. And it, it was purely down to um, Bobrovnikova in those last few minutes to unlock the French defence. I mentioned before the game that Russia have this inconsistency within games. And we saw them starting slowly against Montenegro. This time they started really fast uh, against 
France. And I think they have to even out that inconsistency a little bit to really mount a challenge, which I think they can do for the gold medal in this competition. But but what about France? I had them as favourites going into the match. Did they do better or worse than you thought, Chris? I had a sneaking suspicion Russia would get this or would win this game. And I I did feel the first half went as I expected it to. I mean, as you said, the, that second half, that third quarter uh, push from them to get back into the game was very France-like. And I felt for them it was important for them just to stay in the game early on because the onus was on Russia to grab the game by the scruff of the neck in the first half and, and try and beat France. What I really liked about the, the French team was the, the backcourt play in particular. We, I think we saw a very good game from Estelle Enziminko and from uh, Océan Cercien Ugolin, as well as Orlan Canor. All three of them, I think, had a fairly strong game. And that was the first time I think we've seen all of that backcourt for France really click quite well. So in that area, I was quite impressed with them and they even did better than I expected. Maybe France didn't push on quite as much as we thought when they took the lead. I think it was pretty much on that 45, 46 minute mark when they drew level and then took the lead. Russia managed to get a a second wind after that, but we probably would have expected France to push on from there and to take the win. So that was uh, one area that perhaps wasn't as expected. I have a completely different point in terms of the refereeing slash the rage from the French coach afterwards and not like really dig into it and and say it was all terrible, but it was quite equally bad. And in terms of the injury, it was a contact injury. It was very unfortunate. And I think it's it's hard to blame the the schedule on an injury like that and so far in this competition we actually have been pretty blessed with uh, no serious injuries except for Andrea Lekic now apart from Andrea Lekic but it was at the start of the tournament and of course it's a horrific injury but again scheduling wasn't a big factor within that and this means that the group is very finely balanced you have Russia and France on seven points each And only one team can overhaul them. That's Denmark, who are on four points. So nobody's through yet in this group. Denmark are playing Spain on Sunday. If they win that, and they're going to face Russia with everything to play for, and uh, France playing against Sweden. Based on what you've seen and based on the opponents, who's going to go through? It's tricky because, you know, you'd imagine France playing against Sweden, who are already out, would have the easier task instead of Russia coming up against Denmark. So... That's a big factor there. So I'm going to put my neck out and I'm going to say France and Denmark. It's funny you say put your neck out because that's what I think is going to happen too. <laughs> well, put my neck out isn't. But uh, I, uh, Denmark beating, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, it all come, it it will all come down to that Denmark Russia game. Uh, I think it's uh, Russia and France. Um, Denmark were good, but I just don't see them being good enough at the moment. Yeah, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm did, sorry did to what I said. Strong argument. Yeah, a really strong, right. detailed answer there. <laughs> changed my mind. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm going to go for France and Russia as well. I don't know what I was thinking earlier. 
I think it'd just be nice to have Denmark in the semi-final, but I, yeah. Before we go, do we have time for another uh, tale from the red zone? This was actually on the same morning as the spoon incident that uh, a player came down to... I was, again, in absolute tears after my uh, spoon incident with Christina Laszlo. Wasn't in a great mood. I'm not going to say who this player was now. It could have been from any of the teams. Let me just say that. But they have the initials DD, okay? So if you're... You can maybe go figure it out. I'm sitting there having my breakfast. It's just me, right? Finishing up, having a coffee on my phone. This unnamed player, DD, walks in with an empty sports bag, picks up the container of Nutella, and I'm talking about 60, maybe 70 sashes of Nutella in there, empties the whole thing into her sports bag, puts down the empty jar again. How are you? Walks out again, cheerio, with about 60, 70 sashes on a teller. I've no idea what you do with those, but she took them upstairs with her. And uh, then later that day, I see her and some other people from the same team yank a Christmas tree off the wall, <laughs> walk by the reception, singing, bah, bah, do, 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 do. and the reception goes, hey, 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 hey. And they go, hey, 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 back to her. And the reception is just so taken aback. It's just like, what What just happened? And the team went upstairs with a brand new Christmas tree to add it to their lovely collection of 60 sachets of Nutella. Maybe they're going to direct decorate the tree with all those things of Nutella. I have no idea. But there you go. Things are tough in the bubble. Oh, well. Things are tough in the bubble. Who was it, listeners? Get in touch with us at Handball Hour <laughs> on all the socials. Private message. HandballHour at gmail.com for our emails. And uh, we won't reveal the answer when we're back with you on Tuesday, previewing the final day of the main round, Decision Day, at the Women's EHF Euro 2020. So until then, from all of us, it's goodbye. And as we say in Swedish, Hej då!